Okay, you just heard a sniffle. That's how we're going to start this podcast off. This is probably my favorite guest I've had so far. We've had some wild ones. Jeff Richards. Oh, he's wild. Carlos Rera, uh, Dolph Ziggler's brother, the great Riley Nimeth. But today is a good friend of mine, a great comic, and an amazing author. Author of the book Brain Humor. Get this book. It's on Amazon. The audio book will be on iTunes. Please put your hands together for the one, the only, Mr. Matty Goldberg. Thank you. All right, that's Matty. What's happening, brother? Uh, just happy to be here. Um, very lovely house you have. So a lot of cool uh, metal, heavy metal, uh, and hockey trophies. So full of '80s artifacts. Yeah, you don't see that. What's so, an era? That's long forgotten. VHS. Yeah, I've got uh, VHS fight tapes. I was thinking more of the. Um, we used to go to the rec. Did you ever go to like record shows? Oh, absolutely. Would, you'd like they. You'd ask to see like a Kiss bootleg. Oh, I've got plenty of Kiss bootlegs. All I'm the sure. VHS back. In, this is way. This is way before YouTube. Yeah, I mean there was a store in Westwood They're called. Started with a reckless or something that sold bootleg CDs, posters, mm-hmm. and I bought every week. I'd buy four or five Kiss bootlegs and that's awesome VHS tapes. And then yeah. uh, one day I saw Mike Douglas, the reporter. N- very no, the uh, he was like the Arsenio Hall of the seventies. Okay, yeah. And I said, hey, I love seeing Kiss on your show. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I bought this tape at this store. And uh, they had Kiss on the Mike Douglas show. And about two hours later, I get a phone call from his lawyer <gasps> asking me where the store was. And I- I'm so oblivious. I'm like, oh, it's in Westwood. It's right no, by the video. No. And the next day, the store went out of business. Is that a true story? Yeah. Wow. So, uh, that you is know. awful. And they had the best. I- I've got so many great. And they had more than Kiss bootlegs. I, but, I know, know a lot of play. I know, like, uh, I don't know if it's the FBI. I don't think they deal with that. But in the '90s, they would come in and raid stores that were selling bootlegs. In New, in New York, that was a big thing. Well, so, it's like yeah, you know, it's I like, guess. yeah, record stores would one day have bootlegs and the next day they wouldn't. Well, I think even uh, Virgin Records used to have uh, in the '90s import bootlegs that were probably illegal to sell, but uh, certainly didn't stop me from buying them. Yeah, they got away with it probably. And, uh, you know, it's just now eBay's does that's where everyone goes to get bootlegs and that they sh- they're pretty vigilant. Sure. At, uh, you know, squashing that, which is too bad. So, I mean, you haven't lived till you've bought a kiss bootleg from the lick it up tour. Oh, man, that was not their, their greatest era, but. Well, yeah, it's a funny song. Fun, very funny, very funny video. Yeah, and if you notice in that video, they hated Vinnie Vincent so much. He's not in it. They purposely like leave him out of the video. I mean, they have to. He has to be in the video. He's the guitar player. Yeah. But they like do some weird Photoshop where he's not in most of it. Now I'm gonna have to watch it. The oh. one, the one thing I just learned, and I grew up in you know New York, so a child of the '80s, I guess. MTV Hot for Teacher was filmed there's a there's an elementary school right next or a high school right next to my house and they filmed it there oh that it was one of the uh first breakout video hits uh oh i love that video so now i watch and i'm like that's the street because there's a there's a scene where david lee roth is is uh driving the car at the end right and i'm like that's that's like 20 feet from where i live i mean when i was a, a fitness trainer at Family Fitness Center in Pico, the blonde girl from the teacher from the video used oh, wow. to. I used to train her. No, oh, she was beautiful. I, I mean. Can I curse her? No. Oh yeah, yeah. This is no holes yeah. barred. Oh great, great. Yeah, shit. Oh my god. Those I are mean, the days. This isn't called the inappropriate Earl cast for nothing. I'm so happy to be here. Well, listen. I'm glad to have you here. I mean, we're going to talk comedy. We're going to talk about our favorite movie of all time, Fifty Two Pickup. Oh, I love it. Uh, you know, the four on the floor murders. Love that, yeah. But I want to get the... I don't read books. I think the only book I've read to completion was The Dirt. 
because of the stories were so fascinating. Oh, but so good, yeah. Dude, your book, Brain Humor, is the best book I've ever read. And I'm not, I swear, I'm oh. not, now I've only read The Dirt. So it's not, it's just an amazing, everyone should get this book. I think uh, anybody who does comedy should get this book. I think one of the, not to sell it, but the, I I thought before I wrote it, I, I read a lot of com- comedians' memoirs. And they never go into detail of the really awful beginning, the rough start, the horrible road gigs, the open mics, the bringer shows they have to do, the the club manager that's like an asshole to them. So I wanted to like totally bring that to life. Like this is like the how it, this is how you start and this is how it is. So anybody really that wants to know about stand up. I think this is really like a crash course of like what it's really like and most comics will be able to relate to it as well as other people like wow. Uh I don't want to hate on something but like the movie Funny People, I don't know if you're a fan of that. <laughs> you know, I uh Taylor Negron. Uh, yeah. But uh it's like okay, here's a movie that's about the business that we're in and it's so inaccurate of how it's really like and that bothers me. You know, like if you're a, a firefighter and they make a movie about firefighters and it's not like it is, you're pissed. So I wanted to do something that was really like what it is to, you know, go on the road or, you know, work your way up, you know, doing stand up and all like the ups and downs. And in the, like the awful gigs you have to take. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that, like, there's, I think there was about two other stories that I, that was edited out of the book of like awful gigs. I think one was in uh, Danbury, Connecticut, where the booker brought me and the two other comics in the back. And I swear to God, he says, we like, I love race jokes. Oh. He's like, black people, spicks, chinks, go after them. We love jokes like that. And he was, it was, it was so weird and so bizarre. And uh, there was maybe like 15 people there that were all his friends and they were so rowdy and drunk and you're... You're just like, how am I going to get through this? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, well, he'd fit in well uh, working at some of the comedy clubs in L.A. with that attitude. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's also a story like having to do an hour, you know, at like a place where like you don't have an hour. Oh, I've been there. And you kind of like cheat the time. You're drinking a lot of water and you're doing the same crowd work over and over. Yeah. Anyone from out of town? (laughs) Yeah. And, like, I think I told a story about how, like, a guy had short shorts on. So, like, an obvious joke was, like, I can see your nutsack, which all, every comic does. But it kept working, so I would just say it all, like, I said it maybe 50 times to him. And, and that's, like, they laughed at that. So I was like, fuck it. I got to get through this. Yeah, well, I mean, I think people uh, see a show like Last Comic Standing and think it's just, that's comedy. Yeah. They don't show the... At the Holiday Inn. Oh, uh, yeah. In front of 10 people. And then the open mics. Yeah. And then, you know, you do these gigs and, like, uh, I think one time I was really depending on money for rent. And uh, the guy was like, the, the door is $10. I guarantee, you know, we get 80 people a show and you get half the door. So I'm thinking I'm going to come home with, like, $400. And eight people showed up. I drove four hours. And, you know, you're like... You know, you feel like you're a professional, and then you get there, you're like, "Whoa, this is this is not good." Yeah, that's uh, eighty bucks. Yeah, that you probably spent a hundred in gas to get to. I paid. I think in the story, I paid the the guy to drive me. He was a comic too, so I gave him like the gas money. So I think I came home with like ten dollars. Yeah, and I was expecting four hundred or something. I mean, it's crazy. The you know, comics are whores. We'll take any gig. Absolutely. And, you know, like I know you did the Nerdogram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the uh, funnier stories. Tell that story for those. It's in the book. Okay. So I don't don't know if you want to tell too much of what's in the book. I'll tell that story real fast. Um, So there was this guy who was like this awful agent who was like not really in show business. I guess uh, the best way to describe him is Broadway Danny Rose. (laughs) And he would have all these awful gigs for my friend, and he just had enough of them, so he would pass them to me. And one was to go roast a woman retiring from a grocery store as a nerd. 
and uh, I basically had to go there and like make fun of myself to make fun of her. And it was like the middle of Long Island, which is kind of scary. And he, I had like no, I had like two things about her, and I had to do like 25 minutes of making fun of her, and I was for 50 bucks, and it was it was weird. It was very surreal. And that to people who don't understand about comedy, to do 20 minutes may seem like oh that's it. But you burn through your best material because you're nervous in five minutes. You still got to do the another 15. Yeah, I mean, there are times when you're on the road. I mean, I'm sure you, when the crowd just sucks. And, like, you can, you have, like, that 25, like, with a good crowd. You know, everything works. And you got the pauses and the breaks and the laughs. And when they don't laugh, that 25 minutes is like 12 minutes. Oh, it can be an hour. I yeah. mean, it could seem like an hour. But I mean, you're, you're done in 12 minutes. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, what do I do for the next 13 minutes? And, you know, you got to do the time. Sometimes they don't even care how good or bad you do. It's like, you do the fucking time. So a lot of, a lot of it's the stories of that. And it's just like, uh, also just working your way up and like learning from like really good comics on like just, skills and nuances and stuff like that and kind of developing your own persona and kind of just like forming who you are which is really cool so i i, I think i like the chapter about uh when i was on the road because i'm i'm kind of like telling the secrets of what i want the crowd to react you know right which not a lot of comics really ever talk about it's kind of like a magician telling the secrets but you kind of like you set the crowd up i guess oh for sure i mean you know i don't have any secrets you know i just i'll do whatever it takes well i think like you're great because you're just you're very you're yourself you're the same guy off the stage and on the stage and you i hate i'm not a big fan of comics that scream and yell you know i can't do it i've tried you know i know when dane cook was like hot and it still is i guess yeah. uh everyone tried to act like him and sure. I, I i just i'm incapable of uh you know that's why I like you. You're the same way. Yeah, I try to be the same like uh, volume all the time. Yeah, I mean, but you're like as nice as you are off stage. You are on stage. There's no act. Well, well, you know the thing is, is like you kind of you okay. I think a lot of the what what the book also is about is for comics. There is this uh, intense need of validation all the time. Oh, of course. So like. It's almost a drug where every night you go on stage, it's a fill. Like you're getting your fix. And whether you do good or bad, it's like some people like bad trips, you know, like a bad drug trip. So it's still it's still a fix. And there's some time down the road I kind of didn't need that validation. And you see guys that are successful that are still like they need to be told that they're funny to this day. And like they need to like feel that love and I, I think I, 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 I'm happy to say I don't need it you know like I'm I'm proud of who I am well after what you've gone through uh, surviving cancer and the death of one of your clo your closest friends yeah uh, I mean validation from some idiot you know at any show is probably pretty uh, minuscule well you see weird things like uh, I, mean, I don't want to pick on anybody but like this girl on Facebook for New Year's Eve resolutions. She was dead serious. She was like, number one, to be famous. Number two, to be rich. Number three, and this is a comic. Right. And you're like, we're kind of losing focus of like what is important. It's like, let's do what we love to do and like entertain people. And, and there's no real rhyme or reason why somebody is famous or somebody's not. So let's just have fun, you know? And, and that, I'm not the best at like, practicing what i preach but i you know my friend in it who passed away angelo uh, bowers in the book was that guy you know that was really hysterical and really talented but really never really cared that much about like fame or fortune or like huge accolades or like how many how many people love them it was just like i get to tell jokes i get to entertain these people and that's like the greatest gift in and I learned a lot from that, you know. Oh, Angelo was the funniest dude I've ever known. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just, he was almost like Mitch Hedberg, where you go, how did how did they come up with that? You know, it's just. 
And one one thing about uh, him too is he was so funny on stage. And off stage, if he wanted to be, he could be hysterical. But he was such a good guy. That yeah. He let his friends like be the star off stage. So like when I was writing it, I had a really good editor, and I was writing stories about just us hanging out. And she's like, "Well, Angelo's not saying much, you know." And I'm like, "Yeah, because he wanted to make me feel really good." Yeah. And that's how he did with all his friends. Like he let his friends like. He would set his friends up to be really funny, you know, off stage or just like joking around. Like he wanted to make them feel like really good. And that's like, I've never seen anybody like that. And probably the nicest dude out in or out of comedy. I've just such a great heart, which is why it sucks. So it's first the cancer and then, you know. Yeah, I... I, I never I it's weird because I've met so many like ruthless bastards in comedy and like I was telling you before like some of the funniest guys I met in, when I was starting in New York like guys I looked up to and I would be like wow you have the best life and they were so miserable oh sure and they were like this sucks I hate my life you know and then I met him and I was like well he's so funny he's got to be like cutthroat he's got to be ruthless yeah. And then I met him and he was like, like I explained the book the first time I saw him, like he did, he did great. And all these people were patting him and like congratulating him. And he was almost like apologizing for doing good. He, he was almost embarrassed for making people laugh so hard. And it was like, I, I, I really took a step back. I didn't, I didn't really get it, you know? Yeah. Oh my, he was, I mean, I remember seeing him at the comedy store during potluck, which is probably the worst show in the country in terms of audience reaction. Yeah. It's just killing. And it's like, who... I mean, everyone stopped in their tracks. It's like, who is this guy? I mean, he was just so far ahead of everyone else in that room. And I know in your book, you used to tell him, what are you doing at these shitty open yeah, mics? Yeah, yeah. But I think he loved... It was like... Oh, he loved it. He yeah. Lo he loved it just because it was like... There was something about just telling jokes to an audience that was very beautiful, and he never, like, judged anybody. Like, anybody who went on stage was, like, a winner to him. Like, you're you're doing it. You're a winner. And, like, he made people feel really, really good. Like, there was a lot of uh, open micers there. I, they're lifers, we call it. You know, like, yeah. they've been doing open mics for 25 years, and they – you know, their stuff is kind of crude and whatnot, but he would like make those guys feel like they were really special and, and they were like honored to perform with him. And, you know, everybody was like, you got to do this. If you got a Facebook page, if you did this, you'd be huge. If you put a video on, you'd be huge. And he just never like, he never really. He was yeah. like the anti-promotion man. Yeah, which is so bizarre because stand-up is all about promotion. I it's, mean, yeah. it's half the game, if not more than half the game. Especially in L.A. I don't know what it's like in New York, but like... It's the same. You know, you... Like, they always talk about Poison in the 80s. Yeah. Poison was With not the, the flyers. best... Yeah, they were not the best band to make it. But they had the flyers. But they were the promotional kings. Yeah. I heard a story that the bass player like beat up another guy in another band because he put a flyer over his flyer yeah. and like put him in the hospital or something. And this was, this was before, you know, MySpace and Facebook yeah. and Twitter. So, you know. But it's the same thing. Yeah, I and, mean. And it's 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 the same, like, it's just technology is, has, has changed. But it was, it was, uh, it inspired me, like, just to, to love myself. I want, you know, because... I did have a brain tumor, which I talk about in the book, and I went through a lot. And I mean, for years, and this is what sucks, and I'm I'm cool enough to admit it, is that I, you know, you, you want to succeed because you want to show fucking assholes in high school that you know. Sure. Like, look, look at me, motherfucker. You know, like, look, look what I'm doing. You know, you were a dick to me or whatever. Even comics when I started it, there was a lot of bullies, and you're like, I'm I'm not gonna quit and. It's good motivation, but it's not the the proper. It's not the real right reason to do things. And right. We we're all guilty of this. We're all like looking at what other people have, and you're just like, 
oh man, I can't believe he got this, or I can't, you know, this guy's on this, you know, and it can drive anybody nuts. And that's, you know, with Ange, that was like, he never even knew about anybody doing anything, or like, or if he did, he would just be like, oh, that's great, you know? He and, didn't care. And then you would just like, you would feel kind of silly, you know? Well, I mean, I used to, I'm guilty of the same thing. Like, I know you talked about auditioning for Montreal and doing yeah. well, and I had the same experience where you think, I got a shot. Yep. And then you see who gets it. Yeah. And they're probably your friends. And you, we didn't even get a call back. <laughs> yeah, you can't really help it. Uh, I mean, it's it's only normal. It's so no. I mean, it's like, because we, we, you know, comedy is so instant gratification. We work so hard on the jokes and we want to be, we want to be appreciated. And, and it's like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, at some point you want someone to say, hey, you're good enough to be on uh, the yeah. Carson Daly show. Absolutely. It, and some people get it and some people don't. And it, I, I, I think what people realize, though, there's no real rhyme or reason why anybody gets anything anymore. It's, it's, a, yeah. whole, it's a whole crapshoot. I've like, you know, music is like that too. It's like being at the right place at the right time. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, at yeah. this point, I'd like to get on the Byron Allen show. Yeah, I love how he sets things up. Yeah. So, Maddie, I I hear you had a brain tumor. Oh, that's funny. You should ask, and then just do the bit. Yeah, but uh, I, as bad as that show is, I would still like to be on it. Absolutely. Me too. I think I I think you and I are the only two comics in the city who well, weren't on Comics on. Unleashed. <laughs> yeah. We weren't leashed to no. the general audience. It is great setups, though. Oh, they're the best in the business. I mean, but I would literally see like open micers on that show and go, how did they get on? I, I, I don't know. Is this even still on the air? Well, I think he changes the name of it every few years, so people think it's a new show. For That's hysterical. It, it was Comics Unleashed, and then it was After Dark with Byron Allen, and then, you know... And I used to live in the same building as his mom, and I'd see him in the lobby. Oh, that's funny. And he'd be like, I is, don't know, man. Is he a comic? or? I think he used to be. Well, he's, he's, got, he's got a good gig going. So You know, there's so many of those old, not older, but I guess he's a little older, like 70s and 80s guys. Yeah. He was on that show Real People. I don't remember that one. Which that's was like a variety one. show in, okay. the, in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I think once you get TV gigs like that, you, you quit doing stand-up. So yeah, I mean that's the thing too. Like I read a lot of um, stand-up memoirs, and like everybody from like Lisa Lampanelli to Steve Steve Martin and all these people, and they never wrote about like the the beginning of stand-up. It goes right to like I'm hanging with you know this celebrity and this celebrity. I'm at this award show. Like the the days of working your way up is like so painful that nobody wants to write about it. I yeah, I mean, you know, I want to hear about Steve Martin hanging with Boone Shakalaka. Yeah, uh, it's it's just uh, I don't know. I I I just felt like it's it's really fascinating, like the whole world. Oh, the struggle. Uh, that's why I liked your book so much. I mean, I can relate to it. Yeah, just the, the shitty gigs and the long hours and like your regular day job of. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, cleaning up animal feces. Yeah, yeah I was. I worked at an animal hospital. And uh, that was that was rough, but it was like I had this boss that didn't really. She was never gonna fire me because she didn't want to pay. Uh, uh, what is it, unemployment? So right. I, if I didn't want to come in, I just never went in. So I kind of make my own hours. And then like, when you get like the stand up bug, that's all you think about. So like, as I'm working, I'm still like trying jokes on the people I worked with, and they never really got it. And, uh, like, you know, you're just thinking about your next show, your next show, your next show. And that's a cool, like, the first few years is so fun. It's so, because every, every show is life and death. Yeah. You know, like, you kill, you're the greatest goddamn thing in the world. And if you bomb, you suck and you should kill yourself. You oh, for, I've been there. There's no, like, there's no, like, well, you're working on an act. It's, it's either you kill or you bomb. Yeah, nothing in between. Yeah. And then you learn, you're like, oh, you know. Nowadays, like if I do bad, it's like, ah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really my crowd. Nothing I can do about it. Yeah, it was the crowd, not my dick joke. That... Yeah. Well, I'm not blaming the crowd. I'm just saying, like, you're not for everybody, you know. So it's like, I'm not gonna sit there and and cry or like, like a lot of guys when they bomb, they're like, 
fuck you guys. You guys suck. That was funny. I'm not going to. I like to gracefully tank. I say that just to myself, though. I want to, you know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you guys don't get a joke about a Night Ranger video? Fuck you. You, you know, but now we originally bonded, not it necessarily over comedy. No. But our love of one of the greatest murder trials ever. Absolutely. It was the OJ trial for me because it, it, I lived in the city where it happened. Uh, John Holmes, the four on the floor murders. Yeah. Wonderland Avenue, Eddie Nash. Oh, so many great characters. Yeah, I mean, that's why I liked it. You know, with the OJ trial, you just had Cato Kalin. Yeah. Who was a great character, super nice guy. Of course, went in the stand-up. Yeah, and, and headlines over, yeah. you know, people who've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Which, it's got to kill these veteran headliners. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. This guy is basically headlining because he lived at a double murderer's garage. Um, it's kind of like when David Arquette won the championship belt in WCW. Yeah, that was a big, that was a, that was a scam. I mean, but I mean, you you take a guy like say Sting, who'd been wrestling for thirty years, going, "What have I busted my hump?" Basically, doing wrestling open mics to get to this point where David Arquette is now the WCW, who's also getting into comedy now. Ugh. He's funny though. I'm telling you, he. All right. He's got great stories. I'm sure. Uh, you know, he needs to tighten it up a bit. Yep. But. Uh, well, I'll check him out. Yeah, he's at the comedy store late nights. He's no longer married to. Uh, he's oh. no. He's a. Pre now, here's the weird thing. He's no longer married to Courtney Cox, but he's a producer on her show, uh, Cougar Town. Interesting. So that's interesting that they could get along. Uh, sure. To, to work, you know. Well, I'm sure she has no trouble. You know, they both have no trouble finding new people. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure neither one is hurting for dates. But yeah. let's get back to. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I've, you know, this is the problem with my podcast. I take it in every direction. I'm sorry, that was my fault. No, that's my fault. Okay. But you know, for those of you who don't know, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Boogie Nights, the, the scene where Marky Mark, he'll always be Marky Mark to me, robs the Arab uh, wacko. One of the best scenes ever. Yeah, it was loosely based on the four on the floor murders. Yeah. And then I know Eric Bogosian was... Uh, Eddie Nash. Eddie Nash. He did a he, great job. I thought he did a little bit better than uh, Alfred Molina. Well, Alfred Molina was playing like... Arab. That was not really... That was kind of based on him, but not him. Right. And, uh, of course, Faison Love, the very funny comic, was uh, Greg Diles. Who passed away. Who passed. I mean, there's just so many layers to this. You know, it's just got the porn involvement. You've well, got... For me, the funniest thing is, or something that I, when anybody tells me they're from Glendale, I say, oh, that's where John Holmes was from, or lived. And now everybody goes, who? And then I tell them the story. Uh, yeah, I mean. So I'm, I'm obsessed with John Holmes. Well, I mean, he's such a, uh, you know, now I guess Ron Jeremy carried the torch after John Holmes. And Ron yes. Jeremy's a little more out there, you know, mainstream. I mean, John Holmes was pretty much just did porn and. But there's something about John Holmes because he was an informant against porn. So here he is. He's the biggest porn star, but he's also busting other porn actors and, and directors. He's uh, this t terrible drug dealer with this 13, 14-year-old girlfriend. I mean, he's probably the most one of the most vile, interesting human beings that's ever lived on the planet. Yeah. And he just happens to have this humongous, like, penis. That he and he's not like a good-looking guy, and he just became this giant star in like the face of an industry that's that started booming, and then he blew it all with drugs. I mean, he really lucked out. Like when he his star was rising, his porn almost was mainstream uh, yeah. for a while. I mean, he was a household name for a while, and and what's interesting is like he's also like a he he lie like he he lies a lot, and he would. Say he was in UCLA and he was an architect and all this stuff and he, he was like a pathological psychopath that like somehow like you know made it for a little while and then you know of course just it went all to shit unfortunately. Well, yeah, when you rob Eddie Nash. Uh... Well, here's the other thing I always find fascinating is the guys that robbed Eddie Nash, their stories are incredible too. 
I mean, the guy Ron Lanius, he supposedly killed like twenty or thirty people. Like he was a hitman, and like uh, he was a he was a Vietnam vet. Supposedly his wife or girlfriend was captured in Mexico, and he just went down there and he just like just went crazy and grabbed her and brought her back. Like he was he was a ruthless guy. Yeah, I mean it was. Uh... And it wasn't Greg Dials, the but Eddie Nash's bodyguard yeah. was like a kung fu, yeah, or I guess you'd say martial arts. Yeah, and, he was just a big dude that like opens the door, like count counts the money, counts the coke. He's the he's the muscle for Eddie Nash. And Eddie Nash was just another dude, great story. Yeah, I mean Arab, uh, Palestinian immigrant who comes here with nothing, who opens a little hot dog stand. And then it ends up owning every huge nightclub in L.A. And I think where Jimmy Kimmel Live is filmed. Was the Seven Seas? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, well, LK, he owns so many night. Yeah, it was the, it's where wherever Jimmy Kimmel Live yeah, is taped now. Yeah, it's called the Seven Seas. It was a club. And then the Starwood. And then there's a couple other, I think, gay clubs he owned. And he was the first to like let, uh, I'm a punk punk fan. He was the first to let a lot of punk bands play. He didn't care about like the music, like if it was violent or not. I know the whiskey, uh, they banned a lot of bands, but he he didn't give a sh you know as long as people showed up, yeah. he was cool with it. Which you know, if you look at the acts that played the Starwood, you know you had bands like Van Halen, Quiet Riot, when they had Randy Rhodes, mm -hmm. uh, Cheap Trick, and then punk bands. So yeah, I heard that. There was like two rooms and like a small stage and then a big stage. And it was like to get a gig there was like the big thing in L.A. Like for an up and coming band and dealing with him, he was always a really intimidating guy. Like he he ran the city like he had he was, he was very corrupt, but he also had like the fire department in his hand. He had the police like nobody wanted to mess with him. He was very powerful, and the, and then John Holmes got these guys to rob him because he had a lot of drugs, and that was that was. We know what happens next. Yeah, I mean Eddie Nash is not someone you want to fuck over in a deal, or I guess it wasn't even a deal, but uh, you know he's. I mean he had a, a very long reach. And that's what's crazy about because the the word is I don't know if this is true, but they knew it was John Holmes because he was wearing Eddie Nash's jewelry the next day. Yeah, and then I, I guess Greg Dials picked him up on like Santa Monica Boulevard yep. and brought him back to the house. They threatened to kill his family. Yep. And uh, so they had him uh, leave open the kitchen door yep. at the other people who robbed him. And then uh, I think we know what happened next. And then the crazy thing is the guy that they made a movie about on HBO that was Liberace's lover is a witness to everything because he was there at Eddie Nash's house doing coke. While they were beating up John Holmes. And I was disappointed in the Liberace movie that they didn't... I mean, I know it really didn't have much to do with Liberace, but uh, they didn't go into that a little bit more. Yeah, like, I wish they did. Um, do you think that that stuff goes on today? Well, I mean, there's really... The whole club scene in L.A. is so different. I don't yeah. think there's a guy like Eddie Nash around. Sure. I mean, New York, growing up, we had a guy, Peter Gation. I don't know if you know... I've heard of him. He owned the, he owned the limelight, so he didn't care. Like he, everybody knew he was dealing, you know, it was drugs and stuff. But he was pretty like, you know, he was kind of like the Eddie Nash. But I don't think there was, there was a there was a crazy rave murder in New York in the nineties, but nothing like the four on the floor thing. But I mean, like right now in L.A., I mean, where Gazzari's used to be is, I think Jay Z just bought it. It's so sad. Yeah, I mean, it's like, especially if you drive down the strip. I mean, the rainbow is still there. I wish I could be, if I, you know, like some people, if they could have a time machine, it would be somewhere like, you know, I don't know. But I, I would go to the 80s to just walk down the strip in like 1984. Oh, yeah. That would be so cool. Because I think people forget, like, you had two eras of entertainment popping at the same time, 80s metal and, and stand-up. Yep. So you could literally go see a rat, Van Halen. Before they made it. 
and then go to the comedy store or the improv, I guess. And but, then, but just to be in like, I would love to see like the rainbow room, like one in the morning. Oh, it was crazy. I with mean, like girls and all the bands and just be a fly on the wall and see like the debauchery and the insanity. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there'll never be another era like that. You know, just, it was, you know, the economy was good. Cocaine. Yeah. There was, I wouldn't say it was pre AIDS, but I mean, AIDS still was kind of a mystery. Sure. So people were fucking yep. and, uh, you know, just. And you had, uh, you know, the Troubadours on Santa Monica Boulevard. You had that. You had uh, Gazares. You had the Whiskey, the Roxy. Uh, I think in Santa Monica there was a club where Guns N' Roses cut their teeth, the Madame Wongs. And all these bands, all these kids would move out here to, I mean, I don't think it's like that anymore where, I mean, I'm sure some musicians moved to L.A., but not like the 80s. Well, yeah, it's all uh, pay-to-play bands now. It's Yeah, but I'm like, there, there must have been... A ratio like maybe ten kids to one kid now. Yeah, oh for sure. The moves to LA to be like a rock star. Like you could be a rock star. Like, I mean, uh, Axl Rose was really a kid from Indiana. Yeah. Who got off a bus just like the video and and you know. Bam. I mean, and this is when uh, any band was getting signed. That it was like literally throwing up shit against the wall and see. Gold rush. Yeah, I mean. that's why, but that's kind of what killed the industry. You, you had, you know, like, yeah, too much of a good of of a, too much of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the copycat bands were getting copycatted. Like, yeah, you had Cinderella, and then you had Britney Fox. Yeah, and then you had bands trying to copy Britney Fox, and then it was like, this is crazy. And then like the wingers came a little late. I mean, the winger is one of my uh, guilty pleasures. Sure. Because I don't think people really know how talented they were. And I think that when the guy talks about the apple pie or the cherry pie. Yeah, Warrant. Come oh, on. Warrant. My bad. My bad. Well, that video oh, made. Winger. Oh, yeah. Winger's Kip Winger. Winger did She's Only 17. Yeah, that was funny. Which was we, like a. Okay. You know. When I was a kid, we used to make fun of that because we were like, he never plays the bass in the video. Yeah. I mean. He just like dances and then he hits one note. Well, that's, you know, that's pretty much... Well, you know, he was actually a talent... You know, he was a, the bass player in Alice Cooper's band uh, before Winger hit. And so, you know, he had the chops. Yeah. But he was such a good-looking guy yeah. that I think whoever was producing that video was like, hey, listen. I mean, we used to lot When I was, like, 13 or 14, we we like, you know, we go, excuse me, I didn't get your number. Yeah. Oh, it was love at first sight. That's a little... <laughs> That sounds better than he sang it. I mean, probably, but he never touched the bass. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. And he's... then the other video, "Headed for a Heartbreak," he never really touched the bass either. Or "Miles Away." I, I never saw that one. That's a good video. I that was check that out. It's a very soppy uh, Desmond Childish ballad, and uh, you know, I, that was my fir- you know my first concert was Springsteen. Okay. But my first metal concert was uh, a Long Beach Arena, Kiss, Winger, and Slaughter. Wow. And uh, what was your first concert? Um, okay, let me think. My dad was a was a pretty cool dad, so he would go with me. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think. I used to see a lot of bad punk bands, maybe like Bad Religion or something. That's cool. When I was like 14 or 15, they played at a VFW hall outside of New York City. Like maybe two hundred people, and then the next album they got like really big. Uh, and I would go to like a lot of the, those hard, the hardcore. Right. Like New York was very big in the hardcore, so I was like sick of it all. You remember, you know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else is big? Uh, Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, you know them. I've heard of them, but I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm kind of yeah. a pussy with my musical taste. Yeah, we were all into that. You know, like all the. You know, like, New York was, like, all about tough, and we saw L.A. as, like, pussies. Well, that's probably pretty accurate. But you guys were getting laid, and, and we were, like, you know, jumping on top of each other, you know, like, just a lot of sweaty guys, you know, like, moshing. Yeah, I mean, we were more into the striper. And uh, getting girls and stuff. Well, yeah, that's, I think, why most guys get into bands. It's but not those, for... those bands weren't really into girls. 
like they were more into like the, it was just guys jumping on top of it, you know, like the, they would just mosh and do stage dives and yeah, you know, like it was just the, it was ninety nine percent guys in the crowd and one percent girl. And I'm guessing that one percent were not an attractive lot, or maybe a lesbian, right? Who, who had a lot of tattoos, who was like would go in the pit and be like, I can do what you guys can do. It wasn't like any kind of sexual uh, tension of, of any sort. Well, I mean, I probably the most hardcore band I ever got into was Motorhead. Um, yeah, and they're kind of loved by everybody. Like, they're loved and respected. I Like, they're playing Coachella this year. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I don't know if that's, the... Hi- that's so weird. I don't know if the hipsters are... I think they'll give them a chance. Yeah, I have a... There's a band I love called The Replacements. Oh, they're like, great. Who's a like a rock kind of punk band that I love, and they're playing this year, and I'm like, nobody's gonna get them. Well, they're yeah, I mean, band. but I, I I don't know. Coachella seems to be reaching out to like. They want to be like diverse, but I I couldn't go. I I I'm not a festival like camper. Yeah, I mean, I've been to one festival, uh, Rocklahoma. Oh, with, so that was like all the eighties. Oh yeah, two thousand seven. I thought, okay, the, I'll go the first year because these bands will be so happy to yeah. to play in front of a, a huge crowd. Sure. And then each year, I figure it's going to get worse, and they want more money, and and that's exactly what happened. But the first year was great, you know. Rat. I think I saw Rat on YouTube at Rocklahoma. Yeah, well, they they play it every year. At the, what I know. love about you is like today in the world of comedy, like you, there's this whole new style of like you basically shit on anything that's not cool. And that's like the style is like, so my uncle, he, he listens to Warren and he was like cherry pie and ha ha ha, what a loser. Because I love, you know, whatever band is cool. But like you like, you wear the flag. I embrace it. You have pride and like, the, you're, and, it, and that's awesome. Like I get shit on so much for Rat being my favorite band. Yeah. But, and, and you know. But people don't know how hard they rock. Like they had some really good songs. Like the the musicianship is is it's, you know, we get lost in that in the in the outfits and the videos. But like people don't know, like like you don't fuck around with Warren D. Martini. Yeah, I mean he is a, uh, a definitely one of the top guitar players of his time. I mean George Lynch is another guy. Oh my God! Rocking with Dawkin. Nobody can play guitar better than him. I I never was a Dawkin. I thought was kind of boring. Right. But he he's one of the greatest guitarists. Well, that's a, like you know you see like Rolling Stone do their top 100 guitar players. You don't see a George Lynch or a a Jakey e. Lee who's like my yeah. favorite. Uh-huh. Uh You know, I mean. But, but that's awesome that you you. Uh, you know, like your pro, you're, you know, so many people are like, if they like it, they hide it. Not me, man. Like I know people that hide, like they love it and they hide it and they like, they break it out when maybe somebody likes it with them, but they hide that shit. So I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I am very open and out of the closet about my love of Vinnie Vincent just because no, no one likes that guy. I mean, he's completely insane. Is he just such a jerk that he's so hard to work with? I mean, well, it's a tough question to answer, but when your name is Vinny Vincent and you get yeah. kicked out of the Vinny Vincent invasion, oh my god, that's hysterical! You gotta kind of, you gotta be a dick. I uh, remember, like, I would buy all the magazines, like Circus and Rip, and that you had that big. It was just the V, the perfect yeah. VVI, and it was like so epic. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I'm just. You know, because his history is... Now, you talk about the four-on-the-floor murders being sure. crazy. Yeah. His history, he starts out as writing jingles on Happy Days. Uh-huh. Then he gets hooked up with Dan Hartman, who was the guy who sang that song, I Can Dream About You. Oh, okay, so that's really poppy. And then he goes to Kiss, gets kicked out of Kiss three times. Oh, my Lord. Forms Vinnie Vincent Invasion. They bail on him after two albums, and they form Slaughter. And then he puts out a box set on cassette, which is like, it, that's insane. Yeah. I bought it. A box set on cassette. No one does that. How He's, many cassettes were in it? Six. Here's the thing. I get the box set. I open it up. There were no cassettes. He ripped me off. So you, you like through his website or something? Yeah. It's uh, like VinnieVincent.com. Oh, and, Lord. And he did that to a lot of fans. And then he resurfaces starting wearing the, the, the Kiss makeup at con- Kiss conventions. Oh, no. 
And then his ex-wife, and this isn't funny, but it's the yeah. mother of his children. Sure. She was a prostitute in Connecticut. Oh. She ends up being chopped to pieces. Oh, no. And so that, you know, he kind of, you know, went nuts. And then I think about two years ago, the cops raid his home and find all these dead dogs in Tupperware containers. Ugh. Like he was such I a... Know, I Now I'm fascinated by him. I, I But I mean, and his music is like so... Uh, like over the top 80s yeah you know 10 minute guitar solos on a four minute song uh and he's just an enigma i mean also growing up i think the uh the decline of western civilization too the great interview with chris holmes like we all thought he'd be dead by now and i guess he's still going i mean he was another whack job yeah i mean he's uh such an interesting guy uh he actually stopped my friend from being an alcoholic. My friend was a pretty severe drinker, and we're at the Rainbow one night. Chris Holmes looks at us, and he looks at my friend and goes, Bro, you remind me a lot of me. And that was scared straight. My friend never had a drink after that night. Did he see the video of him in the pool? Yeah, he know. I mean, that's any metal fan, I think, has seen that. Uh, I you, wanted to do a parody of that for my book. You should, man. Yeah. A second edition. Like I would, uh, they would, somebody would interview me like, how many books have you sold? And I'd be in leather pants in the pool. Drinking vodka. And I'd get my mom to be in it. I mean, that is such a, I don't like, some people say that was staged or whatever, but that was, when you're like 12 years old watching that, that's really scary. I don't think that was staged. I'm guessing no. uh, that was real booze. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've seen Chris Holmes walking around the strip. It's pretty, you know, it's kind of sad. But And he's another guy, he's from Glendale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he put out a music video, I think, about six months ago that was just him and a green screen. And nothing on the green screen. It was just like... Oh, that's hysterical. It was just like him playing this pretty bad song. And, uh, you know, he, he got into trouble a couple of years ago when uh, they asked his opinion. Someone asked his opinion on Slash. Oh. And he's like, well, I don't think N-Words should play the guitar. Oh, boy. So well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. He'll fit in perfect in the LA comedy scene. Yeah. Uh, so this is a this is one of the coolest interviews I've ever done, just by the way. Well, there's so much. There's no format here. I mean, there's and it's like just us talking about what we would talk about, which is really interesting stuff. Because I find that most podcasts, uh, you know, they're just standard questions. So tell me your inspiration behind yeah, the book, yeah, and sure. you know, trying to you know tell me about Angelo's death and how it affected you. And but it it is odd that we. Not only we love Four on the Floor, we love a movie. Like I'll be like, "Hey, have you ever heard of this movie?" And you're like, "That's my 52 and, pickup." And you show me a, the box autographed. So it's not like you just don't like it; you love it. Well, I just was so obsessed. Yeah, 52 pickups, a great movie with uh, a, a tremendous cast. Uh, oh, great cast! Roy Scheider, married to Anne Margaret, being blackmailed by three. You know, I know this. They would never get Oscars for their roles, but three the best bad guys: uh, Clarence Williams III, John Glover, and uh, Robert Trebor, <laughs> as these gang that couldn't shoot sh straight, blackmailing Roy Scheider with Kelly Preston. Oh, she's gorgeous in it. And some great cameos by like Ron Jeremy and Jamie Gillis. And the girl that was with Prince. Yeah, vanity, a yeah. prime vanity, right before she found God. Yeah. I no. mean, uh, I think. I yeah, it's one of those movies where you watch the bad guys because they're so interesting, and you go right on IMDb to see what what else they're in, and you're disappointed because they're not in a lot of, like, Robert Traber was only in, like, four or five other movies. Yeah. And he's he, he plays, like, this nebbish, like, the third guy, so he's kind of, like, bullied by the other bad guys, and he's. He's sweating. He sweats so much. And he's like, when he's confident, he's like, you know, like that. The, the, the little guy that like, you know, like that when somebody's down, he kicks him. Oh, was, yeah. He was just played the nervous, almost Woody Allen, Jewy. And, and then he gives in so fast. Yeah. And then he's like, I, 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 I didn't do anything, I swear. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't I, tell I, him. You, you, you're great. You, you're good. I, I, we should be a team. Stop whimpering. Yeah. Um, and then John Glover. Oh, so good. I, you know, any future acting students who want to play a bad 
guy role, you must see 52 pickup. He just had this good looking, he was a very good looking guy, but this. Uh, Doesn't yell. Yeah, just this James Bond coolness. And. Uh, like there's a scene in the beginning where the point is they're blackmailing Robert, Roy Scheider because he's having an affair. So they have a video of him with his with his uh, mistress, and the guy is narrating it, and he's like, oh, look at that. You got good taste. You got nice taste in broads, Mitch. Yeah. Taking her to a $40 hotel, Mitch, I expect a little more from you. Shallot Lodge Motel is not a bad place. About 40 a night. And then he shows videos of his wife. He's like, oh, look at her. She's keeping real fit for you, Mitch. You got to stay in shape chasing that young pussy. So, and then just, you know, so it's just, I know we're like, people are like, what the fuck are these guys talking about oh, at this so juncture? Good. But you really, first of all, buy Brain Humor, the book. I mean, that's the real reason Maddie's here. No, I appreciate it. I It means so much. I, I mean, just what you've done, like telling people and like tweeting means, well, I mean. But it's, you know, I'm a very selfish person. I, I'm the first to admit that. Can I, I'll be honest though, like. I thought, like, uh, maybe this is weird for me to say because it's bad, but, like, I thought, like, this would be something that would really, like, put me on the map or, like, make me financially, you know, like, it would be something that, like, I could be a writer. And, right. And it might not happen, you know. It's really hard to, whatever you do as an artist, to make a living. But I also say, like, you know what, like, whoever gets it, gets it, and that's the most beautiful thing. And, you know, the, I'm really proud of that. You know, I'm just, like... It, it's good to get like a lot of letters. I've gotten a lot of letters from like this woman. Her six-year-old son has a brain tumor, so she really liked it. And uh, this girl wrote me, and she's like, "My boyfriend has an operable tumor," and you know, we're reading it. So like, that's like really awesome, you know. So I mean, it's an amazing, and, and it's just—I tell you—the last like seventy pages, I was crying. Yeah. And and just because I mean I don't know you know I think even if you didn't know Angelo you will cry because you do such a perfect uh, job of his portrait and it just yeah I, I mean uh, I think when people read it they will definitely go on YouTube there's some Angelo sets and they'll want to know like more about him and I mean he's like, just hear his jokes unfortunately a lot of the sets online are like really small places so they don't really yeah. do justice but. Just like, you know, like what a friend, like what a, a great friend is that I never had before. I never had a friend like that was so like cared about you and so giving and so was all about like just having a, a really sweet time. Yeah, he was like, I mean, I, I mean, just words don't describe what a great dude he was and just even when he was really sick and you, you knew just yeah. by physically looking at him that he wasn't maybe feeling great he would still hug you and give you that fucking angelo bear hug and yeah yeah you know it's just uh, i mean i don't know one per you know i'm sure there's even a few people who might say a bad word about you or me out there i don't know yeah, who they would be but no one on this earth could say a bad word about and angelo. that's the other thing too like you would have to check your like if you're like a, a jerk at a comedy club and you like to you know there's comics that like to you know like take shots at younger guys you know like you couldn't do that around them because you would feel like an asshole because he, he, he never like said anything or, or, or like preached anything, but he conducted himself in such a manner like, well, if the funniest guy in the room is so like good and peaceful and, and, and here for the right reasons, how can I be a jerk? And I would see a lot of guys that were like kind of dicks like around him would, would really like be embarrassed by themselves and wouldn't show that side when he was around. And it wasn't because he would say anything. It was just they, the, his presence was yeah, I mean, that strong. He was just, I mean, like I think you said it. Like Usually the funniest guys are kind of dicks or they got some personality disorder. Yeah, well, they're just really bitter too. Like they they walk off the stage, like they'll kill and, they'll, and you'll be like, man, you were funny. And they're like, ah, it doesn't fucking matter. I got 50 bucks for this fucking show. You know? Yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, like you kind of like, you want to like be really like, wow, and like enjoy the moment and, and, and really let them know that they were great. And then they kind of like shit on the moment. Yeah. And he was, 
he was well he wasn't he was he was hard it was hard for him to take compliments because he was so embarrassed because he was so humble but he just loved like you know performing with his friends and hanging out and like we would do a lot of road shows where you know we'd be stuck in traffic and it didn't matter because you know it would be more time to hang out with him and 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 just you know kind of joke around and and be and be silly and whatnot and no, it was it was like the just by brain humor you'll learn man i mean maddie's a great dude you'll learn about angelo you'll learn about the the you know how how to deal with cancer how to beat it well that's all luck i'll just say like i'm you know it, it's a flip of the coin and i'm very fortunate i'm very blessed you know it's just i'm very lucky well, but I mean, that. it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I lost my mom to cancer, so yeah. she, she, uh, you know, didn't exactly go to the doctors when she should have, but my dad uh, as well. And <laughs> but I, I appreciate that. It's, it's, but I mean, you, you, I think whether you beat it or not, it's the mental, uh, yeah. fortitude you have to have to fight it no matter exactly. what the outcome is, is, uh, yeah. more than I ever have in my life. But, uh, you know, you're one of my favorite comics Thank you, Earl. and uh, favorite people. I don't even look at you as a comic. I just look at I you as a... I don't want to even feel like a comic. But you are, though, dude. I mean... I, it's a weird stigma because... But yeah, never mind. No, you're right, because so many people say they're comics. It's like people who do podcasts. There's so many podcasts. There's so many comics out there. It's like, you know, someone who maybe isn't the best at either. It's like, dude, you're not a comic. You know, Matty Goldberg's a comic. I you know. appreciate it so much. Angelo's a comic. Was you know, uh, he's probably funnier dead than all of us alive. So uh, now you got some shows coming up. Where can people I, see I wanna, you? I want to uh, plug San. I'm going to be in San Francisco, February 16th and 17th. And uh, the 16th, I'm doing like a small set at the Punchline, just like a like a little guest set. And the 17th, I'm doing the Milk Bar which is like a cool place, I guess. And I'm going to read a chapter. And it's cool because Angelo is from Modesto and his, his mother is going to come up for that. Oh, that's awesome. And she's just, she's the best because I told her I was going to write this book and I, and I asked her for permission and then I, I let her read what I wrote because I want her to be just like anything I wrote about him, I want her to approve it. And she was just like, you know, do what you have to do. And that means the world, and and she she really uh, she really likes it. She says it makes her cry, which which is is tough, but she said it it really means a lot to her because you know we still talk because she still likes that connection with all the his comic oh, for buddies. Sure. So the seventeenth, it's the milk bar, and I'll read a chapter, and I'll have some books to sign and stuff like that. And then uh, if you go to maddiegoldberg.com, I should have some dates in L.A. And I should be getting back on the stand-up horse. And it's all for the love. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it ain't for the money because uh, there ain't no money in this exactly. business. <laughs> but uh, that is, we're going to have Maddie back. Uh, and this podcast will actually air before those dates. So please go go to San Francisco if you're in the Northern California area. Go on MattyGoldberg.com just to see where he's at in L.A. He's, I, I tell you, I don't like a lot of people. I don't, I'm so fucking selfish. I don't plug anyone's uh products or, or ideas because i'm jealous that i didn't come up with them first but please go to amazon uh can you get it on maddiegoldberg.com too uh, in a week you can i've actually ran out of books that's so I great just, i sign them and then i mail them out but right now amazon and barnes and nobles and then in a week maybe when this comes out if you just go to maddiegoldberg.com it has all the links to uh everything and please, I, I know I'm, I've said it 10 times, buy this book. Even if you don't like comedy or, or whatever, you, you will find something in this book you like. So uh, this has been another... We're going to have Maddie back, talk about hockey and, and, and you know white people. And uh, I'd love to come back right before the playoffs. Yeah, we're going to do a whole... Uh, I'll give you my, my predictions. I mean, we got the Kings made a trade today. Ben, trade? ben Scrivens, the professor, uh, is now a goalie for the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, by the time this podcast airs, this will be uh, probably three weeks old. So it's like the hockey news. You, know? yeah. you get the hockey news at the newsstand, and they're just covering the Gretzky trade uh -huh. in 88. So, MattyGoldberg.com, Brain Humor. This has been another podcast, the Inappropriate Earl Cast. It will be on iTunes. 
And please check out Maddie Goldberg. If I got to say it 20 more times, I'll say it 21 more times. That is all, folks. Thank you for listening. Write a review for us on iTunes.